Ladies and gentlemen, uh, guess what show you've tuned into? It's Risking Failure. Oh, it's so good to have you along again. And once again, it's that time of the week where you choose to press play and connect with your old friends, Dobbo and Mick Dunn. How are you, mate, on the other side of the world there? Fantastic, mate. I'm very good. Very good. Um, I'm euphoric. Euph- euphoric, that's a good word. That's an excellent one, building on our past episodes. Of Did you like you. that interplay? Yeah, for a long time listeners all go, oh, I, have to look, I have to look that one up. I'm stupendous. <laughs> Actually, I had a couple of people contact me this week say that they'd started listening to the show because the more – you know, the more time I do uh, conferences, the the more people start to listen. And um, they always go back to episode one. They go, I really got into it, but I thought, you know, I'm going to start from the beginning. Nick, I really wish we did a better job at the start. Like, I'm not sure our first show was that good. Well, none of them are, is the the interesting <laughs> thing. <laughs> not, not, all, not all of ours. <laughs> you probably spoke out of turn there. If you listen to every podcast, people are always figuring out their thing, you know? Like, it was pretty epically bad. I, I, I agree. Don't go back and listen, people. Just stick with us. We're right here. We're like... Yeah, oh, there's some worth going back to, but yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Anyway, look, sometimes people won't have time to go back, Mick. Yeah. Maybe one. Maybe not. They... <laughs> Mike, that, that was that a was lead into the topic. That was the leading. That was where you meant to go, well, actually, funny you should mention that, Dobbo. I was thinking this week's topic could be time. Uh, you should have texted it to me while you were saying it, just so that I could really get the hint. No, that is as good a handover as in the first episode where I spoke to you and you were in silence. I'm like, Mick, it's a radio show. You have to speak now. We haven't, in 70-something episodes or whatever it is, we, we haven't got any better. I know. Oh, wait, you've, you've been fine. I haven't got any better. <laughs> so, anyway, the topic that Mick and I were discussing off air was the idea of time and to discuss time. Because I've got some – I'm a bit fascinated by time, actually. And so the reason this came up uh, was that I had listened to this lady named Claire Dunn and uh, same wife's related. So she must be super intelligent. She takes a while uh, to speak as well. (laughs) You're a freak. Is it funny that she should do a show on time? (laughs) Does she talk about time as well or timing? (laughs) Fuck off. <laughs> I said that pretty quickly, didn't I? <laughs> so anyway, uh, she uh, spent a year in the bush and uh, living, you know, not just camping in a tent, but making your own shelter, all of those things. And I heard an in-depth interview with her that was rather interesting. One of the things she was talking about over time um, was – what she did with her watch. So she hit her watch and then found that she just had this inescapable need to go find the watch because she just found that she just needed to know what time it was. And initially that was because she just couldn't seem to, she was just really confused. And a lot of times she just didn't know whether it was 11 a.m. or 4 p.m. And she just needed that body clock to know whether she should be gravitating towards like getting some dinner ready and 
um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you start to get to know by just looking at the sun and things like that, but it was just that hourly routine. Um, and so she fought it and said that she eventually, you know, did start keeping track of time a little more. And um, so there's two things she said that I, that really grabbed me. So one of them, uh, she said she had a daily routine all the time. There was a bunch of other people that were living out in the wood, in, in the bush as well. So there's sort of a group of them, but they were in different shelters, different areas, but they were meeting up and, you know, sort of this combined project. And I don't know whether she was the only one that ended up just staying there, but I, I think it maybe is something like that. And she was saying that every day she would go out to what she called a sit spot. And it would just be a spot that she, it was on the top of a, a cliff or ledge or whatever. And she would just look out at everything around her. And she might do that for about an hour. And she found that that became really um, one of the most important things she needed to do each day because from that she would get to see the patterns of all the animals and the other things going, like the birds and the weather and just the the, the both flora and fauna and, and tracking what's going on and, and beginning to feel like she was within the environment around her. But the other thing she said was time and that she realized that it wasn't long before, even though she had no responsibilities, no deadlines, no nothing that she needed to get done each day other than just to keep fed and hydrated, she always felt like she was behind. Like she would have this self-talk of like, oh, I should have, like, I should have already, you know, built the fire by now. And I should have already like... Um, you know, gone and oh, I, I really needed to go and like harvest those berries and I didn't and that should have been done already and now like <laughs> she just had this list that she was always keeping and it just made me sort of um, reflect on whether or not you know that was actually an issue for somebody a few hundred thousand years tens of thousands of years ago that just didn't have that same concept of time as we do in a world that you're just measuring your days by the stars or the sun or uh, weather patterns and and how it actually almost seems like we've evolved into this desire or need to follow that, that time clock and um, how much really for me personally, I feel like a lot of the stuff I battle with on a day-to-day thing might be guilt because I'm not spending that time the best way possible or I didn't get something done enough so that when the next thing begins, my mind isn't fully present in the next thing because the other thing didn't get finished. That happened to me this afternoon where I was, I just had two, three more phone calls I needed to make and my brain was just thoroughly immersed in something but the time clock hit where I needed a transition to doing like taking my kids to some places and I tried to figure out how to juggle that as I was driving to finish up and just pass on these messages and that meant I wasn't fully present with my kids for that 20 minute period so I was all apologetic to them about not being around and present at even though I was in the car and that sort of thing we've explored the boundaries of this thing before certainly but um I don't know. I just thought, think it's an interesting topic. Yeah, I got loads. First off, did um, I speak? Did I speak fast enough then for you? Or are you taking this? 
<laughs> I don't actually get the joke. Does that am I because I'm always hurrying you along? It's just the gap, but it's the, it's the waiting. No, it's not the waiting. We get along great. It's just been a couple of According times. According to my time been- clock around about eight minutes ago, you were telling me I was speaking too slow. So anyway, carry on. No, it wasn't this talking <laughs> slow or that. I think her needing the watch is I'm not sure if it's a good case study because did everybody have a watch they'd hidden and did she have anything else hidden that she was trying not to use as well? Because I know if I'm driving in the car and I keep eating the food that's on the front seat, I'll launch it into the back seat so that I can't reach it. But sooner or later, I'll be stretching across to reach it because that that idea that I, I don't want to have that, like I'm better off just eating it all and being done with it. And then it's not on my mind anymore. It, it's like when you that if you want to be healthy, if you've got if you've got naughty food in the house, it's very difficult to not gravitate to that that naughty food. It, it's better just to not have it there. So I feel like fundamentally, fundamentally, there's a seduction. You're introducing a problem that doesn't necessarily didn't have to need be to there. exist. Yeah, no, because yeah. that's funny yeah. you say that because that was my immediate instinct when I heard. I was like, "Well, why would you bring it to begin with? If your idea was to hide it when you bought it, <laughs> like why do you have it?" Yeah, and then, and then, yeah, like, well, if it's a low stimulus environment, you're just definitely going to gravitate towards that that thing that's uh, gives you some sort of interest. I think that the human nature is to always gravitate towards some sort of structure. We need some sort of certainty, and if she was hiking continuously, then there's always this sense of where am I going to stay tonight? So she might have been in a position where everything's isolated or minimalized so that the really only thing that she can hang a hat on to move towards is this awareness of time. But let's presume, though, that there's still some truth in the idea, which I, I think there would be. I think the next thing is that our spiritual awareness on this stuff, too, about whether or not someone goes into the wilderness and has done the emotional work in the first place to not necessarily feel like they need to be scheduled or organized or structured. Now, I'm not saying that there's that I'm capable of some sort of emotional or spiritual bliss where I don't need to get things done because I like to be productive. It's a good sensation. I spend a lot of time in the Aboriginal communities out in Northern Territory and they're quite happy just sitting around and just... They're getting a rhythm, you know, if the, if the ladies are, say, knitting baskets or something, they're just in this rhythm of just, they don't really have the same idea of time because I, I know I'd announced that the movie was starting at 7pm, say, well, everybody would rock up at 9 o'clock or whenever it suited them. There was, I'd say that the, the main recreational facilities was open between 10 and 2 o'clock. Well, nobody had any idea what 10 o'clock was or 2 o'clock was. Like, that was just... I was, I, was, I was bringing this Western measuring into a world that worked much more organically. It was like a rolling consciousness of when somebody saw, oh, let's go, let's go to the recreational building. Then someone else would go, yeah, let's go. And then this idea would just pop up and the people would roll there and they had no concept of is it open or is it closed. That wasn't – like I've really enjoyed studying quantum physics and also enjoyed studying um, – Psychology. Tell- what? You didn't tell me you're a quantum physicist. Oh, I'm not a quantum physicist. No, 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 no. But I have probably looked at it more than most, sure. And 
in there, you start to have to grapple with time and parallel universes and you start to realise that we can't even conceive time. And one of the things that people may not appreciate is that when you watch a science fiction film, it's quite common that somebody will go into space, say a boy, the classic, a boy's kidnapped by aliens. And then when he comes back, he's only been gone for a couple of days, but when he comes back, everybody is 30 years older. And most people don't understand what that's actually referring to. And is that time is, is like oxygen in that it's concentrated some places and it's thin other places. So if you go higher on a mountain, there's less oxygen. Well, it's the same with time. Time moves at different speeds all around the universe, which is so difficult to get your head around. Because if we send a watch into space and it's set identically to another watch, when it comes back, it won't be identical anymore. It'll, it will have been slow at the time, would have moved faster on Earth. And this is... So difficult for people to fully get their head around. Even there'll be people listening right now going, hang on, hang on, that doesn't make sense. What? Um, but so, so, and an easy way to think about it is if I, say, got a tennis ball and I, I got a pen and I, and I just put one end on the pen, one of the end of the pen onto the tennis ball. So it sort of looked like a lollipop, right? So I've got just holding it there. Now, if I move, if I turn the tennis ball, and the pen keeps turning, well, what will happen to that pen or that lollipop handle? At the tennis ball point, the, the pen only moves, say, three, four, five mil. But the other end of the pen moves a lot more. And that's what happens with time is when you're on Earth, it's going at one pace, but, but out in space, it's actually moving a lot more. And it's so difficult to get ahead around. And then because we've only got one reference to time. Um, and yeah, so when you said this is the topic of time, I was like, oh, are we really going to go down this rabbit hole? <laughs> because this is, this is big. And, um, because then you go, well, how does that impact me when somebody says, oh, it's, you got to be somewhere at four o'clock? Mm. Um, well, something I have, it's funny because I wasn't planning on this, but I have found myself more interested in long term history. And part of that, admittedly, is to do with religious upbringing and actually seeking out the information that I feel compelled to want to know that I didn't necessarily get get drilled into me as much. So one thing I was looking into just in the last week or two was radiocarbon dating. And I was like, well, I don't really know how that gets done. And I don't know what that you know, how do they do radiocarbon dating and what what flaws are there in it and all these other things. Um, and so I just sort of went down this little rabbit hole of, you know, a couple of nights of just like researching it and understanding what it's good for, how it's accurate. And, um, and part of that for me was to sort of, because it like began to help me place, well, how do we actually tell when something gets discovered? How do you actually tell how old it is? And can that be accurate? And then how do you verify it? And then what does that say about the nature of the universe and how old things really are? And 
what do I actually believe about that? Not what am I told to believe or what do I want to believe, but what do I believe? And, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty clear on that. Um, I'm very clear on it, on what I believe about it. I don't kid myself about anything. There's that need to reconcile, though, like those gaps. So one, one, one sort of argument or thing that when I researched the issues with, say, radiocarbon dating was like, well, you know, if you, like, if you took a sand, an hourglass, and you flip it, and then you're looking at the sand and dropping, you could walk, if you didn't flip it, you weren't there when it got flipped, you just walked into a room, and it's flowing, and you could look at the amount of greens that have been flowing through, and you could measure how long it's been going, and, and you could deduce from that that, okay, it's been running for the last five minutes because it's halfway done and it's got five more minutes to go. But there's assumptions involved with that, which are that when it was flipped, it was running at the same rate. And it may be running at a different rate to when it was originally flipped. And that it may have been flipped with the sand already at the bottom. And, you know, there's all these other little assumptions. Like there may have been a built-in, you know, in the world of radiocarbon dating, there may have been a set amount of carbon already in this particular thing. But they get to a point where those things just become highly improbable when you just find so many other sources that all reconcile with each other, you know, in, in this uh, world. Um, and I don't know whether I'm necessarily going with that other than that I just started getting interested in it to begin to reconcile some of the thoughts that I had sort of been having or thinking about, well, you know, how long have humans been on the planet and what's the earliest existence and evidence of that? And what does that mean? Like, cause for me, like once I really go back into the past and really like think about what those things mean, it starts to inform me about the nature of what it is to be a human being. Like that we, we We've evolved a little bit, but actually probably not that much. We've still got a lot of those instincts built within us if you do carry that line of thinking. But time is just extends beyond all of that in an interesting kind of way, you know? Like it, it precedes all of that shit. It becomes this, you know, <laughs> when did that begin? You know, it, it's just crazy. Oh, it's just, it's, it, that's why it's so difficult to conceive because where I'm saying, or discussing that time stretches and, uh, and well, that language is not really right, but it, it moves at, it, it, it moves at different speeds in different parts of the universe. That's one element. And then you're also talking about the infinite, how infinite is in its um, linear scale, like forward and backwards. So there's another dimension that the brain can't get its head around. Not only that, mathematically, we think that we can make a decision now that will change the future. So it's ahead of us. Mathematically, it's also possible to make a decision now that would change the past. Now, we think we can't go back in time. But mathematically, they're saying, no, that that's not actually correct. That's that's a human understanding. And that's huge to get your head around. Not only that, there's a test uh, study that, and if you want to really get into this stuff, there's a, there's a the first DVD is called um, What the Bleep Do You Know? Or What the Bleep Do We Know? Meaning What the Fuck Do We Know, right? And um, great film, which it's, it can be challenging the first time you see, but after a while you just get the hang of it. But the second one is called 
down the rabbit hole and it extends on it. Off the back of that, there's a 12-hour um, extended version of that film where it goes into all the, the extended interviews with all the scientists, which I've just trawled through indefinitely. Like, I just love that extended 12 hours. It's heavy. But in it, they're talking about a test to see if I can explain this right. But the test basically says, okay, if, I'm, if I've got you unconscious – and I open up your head and I can put some receptors on your brain and I touch, say, your toe, then your brain can – there's a part of your brain that actually receives that and with our receptors we can pick up that the brain is receiving that. You would think that if you pressure the toe that there would take a time for the message to go from the toe to the brain. But at the same time, you could actually stimulate – the part of the brain that creates that sensation. So you could think there was something happening in your toe. So, but there's, because it's stimulating the brain, there's actually no duration required or next, a, a, a reduced duration because it's not traveling from the toe to the brain, it's brain to brain. But when they do it, there is no difference in the time. And as they started to study it, the science has come up with a conclusion, as much as this is going to be difficult for people to believe, that the brain actually can see into the future and make a decision now so that they're protected, if you like, in the future. They can make a smart decision in the future. Like, this is just, like, it's huge. When you actually think that, so they're actually saying the brain can see into the future. And it's doing it all the time, but we're not consciously aware of it. Now, once you actually start to entertain that idea, and I know there'll be some people out there listening to this going, bullshit, that's ridiculous. That'd be well, your dad, it, I think. <laughs> I nearly said that. It'll be dad. This might be new, but it's not ridiculous. Just because it's the first time you heard it doesn't mean that it's ridiculous. But once you actually start to um, get your head around that, then we start to have an appreciation for other things that we see in life, which make no sense. And that is the reaction speed that not only the athlete has when a ball is being thrown at them. So when they do the science, they say there's no way that an athlete should be able to hit that ball moving at that speed. Yet separate to the athlete, we've all had those times when a ball was being thrown or something and you just grabbed it. You don't even know how it happened. You just leapt out and grabbed it or you, you moved your foot out of the way of something heavy dropping in a split second. Like the number of near misses that we all have is really just remarkable. And I remember seeing footage a few years ago on YouTube where a police officer has pulled somebody over in the rain on the edge of the freeway. And out of the blue, this, this car has lost control, completely lost control, and has um, slid towards the police officer. And the police officer has jumped just forward, just this. I don't even know how to explain it. Like, he's imagine standing mm-hmm. at the car window, yeah. he's jumped towards the it, car. Yeah. yeah. And this thing has just missed him by millimeters. And this car going incredible speed. When you see stuff like that, you're like, hang on, there, there's no way that he humanly can do that. But when you start to say, well, hang on, is it plausible that the brain can see into the future just only moments ahead? Then those things become plausible. 
then you've got a way to explain it. Like, hmm, that would explain the reaction speed. So the reason I just mentioned this is because time is epic in its lineage, like both forward and back. It's also stretches. And then even our perception of time is altered because it's plausible that we can see into the future. And science says we should also be able to make a decision or take an action now that would change the past. It, that's this is big stuff, man. And I'm not even a scientist. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to get my head around it. I'm trying to as well as you're talking. To be quite honest, um, I mean the idea of trying to change the past. I don't quite visualize how whether they're really just talking about a split second ago or if they're talking about eons ago. I mean, that seems like a pretty big differential. I'm not saying I believe it. I'm just saying it seems like an interesting topic to explore the concept of, for sure. Um, well, in this particular part, and this this is explored in uh, down the rabbit hole, but guys, if you do go and watch this stuff because you've heard us talking about it, start with What the Bleep. And work your way through because the first time I got the, the down the rabbit hole, which is part two, and then I started watching the extended stuff, I put on the first few minutes and thought, what? This is painful. And then later on, I became a junkie um, and just watched it all the time. But So, it's it's big to get your teeth into, really. It's hard. But the scientist that they're talking to about this particular stuff, he's as baffled by it as well. He doesn't really expand a lot on on how that is plausible to a human to the human mind and in actual fact the truth is like this is so big that it's it's not really useful for anything except for for people like us for except for brain expansion and sort of stretching your thinking but i think in a practical sense one of the things that you know the id personality indicator that you and i used years ago and enjoy like we one of the things that in that is that there's this some people are driven for order and some people are driven for spontaneity. And what I learned from that is the people that are, who are driven for order, they can see, they sort of look two or three or four months into the future or a year into the future, depending on how strong that drive is, where the, re- the reverse of that is, which I am, is the people who are less structured and just more spontaneous. If something takes more than 15 minutes, they can't, it, it just feels like it takes half a day and we're actually terrible at measuring time. So on a human scale, there are some people that are actually really good at measuring time. They can on Saturday they can see, well, um, I've got five things on. I'm going to do this in the morning, and then straight from there I'm going to run to this, and they can fit it all the thing, everything in. Where there's other people more like myself who've got one thing on the morning and one thing in the afternoon. As far as I'm concerned, the day's full because they both take over 15 minutes, so they equal half a day. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the weekend's really only capable of doing four things, you know, not including evenings. No, that, um, that's. That's pretty much me. Uh, I, I'm, yeah, well, you've got similar drives, right? So Yeah, I mean, I... And it's, it's hard to organise your time like that. Um, I'm magical at just waking up on a Saturday and I, I'm sure it frustrates the hell... I know it does frustrate the hell out of Liz, but, you know, when you, you sort of identify, okay, well, we've got to do this and do that and get out of the house by 8.30. And it's like eight o'clock and we're way off schedule and I'm just sitting relaxing having a cup of coffee (laughs) or I'm maybe doing something uh like playing the piano 
and all of a sudden it's like it's like this light goes off for everybody and particularly you know with other people but like what are you doing and it's like well it just all of a sudden I'm realizing what time it is and that we're trying to do something but the way that everybody was conducting themselves it, it just felt way more relaxed than that so I just I just forgot I just settled into that and then it's like oh my gosh we do have to be gone in 20 minutes it's like I've been uh, it's as though I've just been in another dimension it's as though if the priority isn't strong enough, I'm not acutely aware of it or something. I, I don't know. It just doesn't sink in in the same way. Like I'm much more aware when I have, say, you know, a, a meeting or some level of accountability. But on the social side for me, I feel like there's way more flexibility. If I'm late to a party, I'm just late. What does it matter? If people want to start dinner before I get there, I don't care. Um, it does really doesn't it? It doesn't like that's that's just time. Like there's no, I'm not impacting somebody else's say financial situation or somebody's ability to make their next meeting. So I'm not like negatively impacted, but I am to my family potentially, um, or other friends that may be trying you know to meet us at a particular time and they're going to be waiting in a particular spot. That's when it gets a little bit different, um, but. I, it's just it's amazing to me how easily I can slip out of that mode where we're all getting ready for you know whatever the the, the the thing the camp or whatever day one whatever is starting at this time and I can easily be engrossed in something and just lose track of the fact that in an hour from now something epic is going to happen and I've just like completely it's like I'm meditating. <laughs> do you do you think that happens because when you're not in charge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like you just hand over the reins and someone will tell you in a way. Like it's not yeah. Not a hand no, over no, the reins no, in a negative totally. way. Yeah, I know what you but mean. But that's it. It is because I, when I think about that on a consistent level in both work and play, it's usually because somebody else is driving the bus in terms of like guiding and steering and maintaining schedule. And I'm not consciously doing this. I'm not saying, well, they've got they've got it. They'll let me know when I need to do something. But that's subconsciously kind of what's happening. Cause it's not a it's not something I've necessarily said, so I'm not aware of it. I'm just being told it and I'm not necess- it's not necessarily sinking in. And so it's very easy for me to uh, much the same way as a teacher trying to organize 30 kids or 20 kids to be on the bus at the right time, the teacher's the only one that's aware of the time. The rest of them just don't give a shit. Um, unless you've got some kids that really value that particular time structure because that's how they work. And I think you identified that earlier. Um yeah, because it just, there's a certain level of certainty there. So if you go back to the one with the watch, well, which, you know, what's her fundamental nature anyway? Is she somebody that tends to be quite organized and structured and and um, compartmentalizes tasks into, into boundaries? Or is she a very flow um, kind of person in the first place that, that suddenly realized that the, 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 the watch or the time management or the time tool actually helped her be in flow, which is plausible. Like, yeah. That's why there's so many variables on it. No, no, I agree. And, and in some ways, it, it all comes down to accountability and what you see as being the, 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 
accountable for or what you feel like you're responsible for. Um, because that, that those are the times when I'm much more aware of, of time is when I feel like I'm responsible for something in a, in a, in a way. And we can't be responsible for everything all the time. So our brain has to transition and switch off at some level. I'm pretty good at just turning off and not having, I can turn off time in my mind pretty easily, put it that way. Like I can just drift without. Yeah, but you mean on, on weekends when you're not in charge? No, I can do it during the week too. Um, but I, it just depends on what's going on. But even on a work day or whatever, I can, I can sink into something or I can, uh, hmm, it's an interesting one, but. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like that's that's an interesting. See, this is where time's so difficult to conceive. So because what you're explaining there is something a little bit foreign to me, or I would language it differently. I'm not sure. But this is a conversation where the actual conversation is about time. It's saying, well, hang on. Like one, we don't we don't realize it goes different speeds in different parts of the planet or the universe. We don't. We can't conceive its infinity. We can't conceive that we can sort of look into the future. And now you're telling me a very practical experience you have with time. And it's like you're discussing a room in a house that I didn't even know that room was there. And I've never been in there. Like it's a different, you've got it. Everyone's got this different um, engagement with it. But you don't think it. You think we're all talking about the same thing. But we're so not. you're saying you don't have a similar experience where you can sort of be aware of time but lose track of it at the exact same time like you're aware that you need to be somewhere and be actually just not productively moving toward that all at the same time well uh, yeah i wouldn't um because that's you know, i don't know i found languaging that right but in some ways that's kind of what i'm saying i'm aware something needs to happen consciously but subconsciously I'm, I'm not like it's not it's not registering it's not happening <laughs> see I think what happens there though and I've seen that in you Mick but I think <laughs> what I'll, I'll have I think um, what can happen is somebody says you know like there can be that tension especially in a family it's it it's like come on we gotta go to the party it's gotta go at seven o'clock and like snap snap come on get ready and I remember when we were kids I'd still be watching hey hey it's Saturday or something and and I didn't need it didn't take me an hour to get ready. I didn't need to be snap snap because it didn't take an hour. It took ten minutes or something. So or two, I didn't really care about this thing. So someone else was gonna drive, but I found this other thing much more important. I think that's probably the easiest way of languaging it is what I see in kids. And that is where I think it's really interesting living around young children to see that they really don't have a concept of time, especially when they're really young, like Spencer, our youngest is two. And he doesn't have any sense of like, he, he, he may, he'll just know it's dark and light, but even at eight o'clock in the evening, like uh, we were up particularly late tonight uh, because of some functions and 
I'm saying to Cameron as we're driving home, like, you know, we're going to get home so we can get to bed. Why? It's still light outside. And I was like, well, but it's getting dark. No, it's not. <laughs> and I'm like, they just don't know. They don't understand any of that, which is fine. And I try to imagine that all the time. It's like, well, man, what what is it? Um, and, and so to try to hurry a kid out of the house for something is particularly difficult to do. And, you know, as parents, we always use that as a reminder, like that we don't need to, or, you know, that it's, it helps you recognize what really is urgent and what's not. And that there's a, well, the child has different emotions. So it's moving on an emotional response. It's this interests me. This is what I want to do. I'm hungry now. I'm not hungry now where we've, put this time in and, and we, we're measuring and we're counting which means we start to have emotions that the child doesn't have we have this sense of urgency which the kid can't conceive because urgency is relative to time and so we start to yeah we're basically talking about emotions that the kids doesn't have yeah and those are futuristic based emotions because they can't project into the future that way they can't feel pain in the future based on what they're doing right now they can't project that. Well, they've got no reference to time because they're only two years old. So, well, but it, you know, most of that they can't remember. But even as so they then, grow, four, six, even then, like it's pretty loose, right? So you can try to remind them, but if you don't do this right now, this doesn't happen. They get that on a functional level to describe. It doesn't mean that they just naturally act on it, right? I mean, it's interesting how kids just don't seem to. It doesn't necessarily mean. So one thing, you know, with young kids that I notice the most, the most difficult periods are transition periods. It's transitioning from one thing to another thing. And so if you're engrossed in a particular activity and they're in the zone, or even if they're not, they're just doing whatever they're doing and you want to move a group of kids or one kid, whatever it is, from riding their bike to being in the vehicle on the way to grandma's house it's not as simple as just getting off the bike and getting in the car because there's all these other steps that involve moving shoes and you know switching clothes and getting all this stuff ready and blah 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 and so there's the inside stuff then there's like so the steps are really get inside and then deal with the dressing of uh, changes of, of dress and then move outside and then once they're outside is move into the van and then from moving the van get in your seat and from moving your seat get buckled up and then the all of these transitions are over every single one of these is like a transition that you have to move them through because it's not one simple this to that incredibly frustrating but that's the reality of because they don't have a concept of time they'll just stop at whatever transition you leave them on that's where they'll they'll just stop there (laughs) unless you move them someplace new but that's what I was saying. Oh, I, I totally I love your distinction on it. When I said before that because he's only two years old, he doesn't have a concept of time, what I'm meaning is if you're 10 years old, you can't really conceive into the future more than 10 years, really, because you've only experienced 10 years. So everything beyond that is a theory and there's a limit to how far you can envision. So if you have never, like when we used to kayak, we'd kayak. The first day of the Murray River Marathon was, I think, 96 kilometres. Now, once you've paddled 96 kilometres, you can conceive what it's like to paddle 200 or 400 kilometres like we did. But if you've only paddled 
20 meters that you've got real no concept of it right so what i think what i notice happens for a child because they're so young it's like no for all of us us humans it's like we've got this awareness or mental reach for time so if you say to a child we're about to go which ride do you want to go on one last time they can conceive that because they can conceive that that next we're about to go but they can't conceive what do you want to do now so that next week you've got something else not necessarily right so but with an adult and i think this is where many much adult misery comes from is that we're so watching time because when we're even doing an activity now we've got an awareness of to be home for this and then to do that and to make that phone call for that and, and we've got this awareness of the actions that we take now really impact this a long way into the future and so it's harder to be in the present because our time awareness is not just to the end of this party like kids might be it's four five six five people got 10 year plans for their life 20 year plans and that's really you know when you're 30 you don't really have a 20 year plan you can think you do but you don't really until you've actually lived you know i'm 43 now so until you get to 43 and you're like oh right now i can seriously plan 15 years ahead because i can remember with clarity 15 years prior um and 15 years prior of conscious decisions too not just meandering through life um it's funny because i feel like at the older i've gotten the more i have begun to realize there's this interesting relationship between money and time and that because we live in a world of of uh, I don't know if the right words credit or like uh, electronic like you don't have cash in your hand it's just the idea of money and so you could be flat in one day because you feel like you're behind and you can't keep up and you can't get ahead and you get one phone call that says that sale came through or that job or whatever or that customer sending their check or whatever it is and all of a sudden your emotion has changed and your idea and your perception of the future even just short-term future becomes great again and nothing changed nothing happened except for a conversation that was just the idea of something different but there's actually nothing different happening um what's well, a different story is in being told in your head it's right yeah and i think it's rather interesting what we're talking about there is benchmarking aren't we with when you're a kid you get your first pay packet and it's 300 bucks because you you know worked at your part-time job over christmas you're like oh my gosh i'm rich <laughs> and as you get older you can have 10 5 or 5 10 20 thousand 100 thousand 200 thousand million dollars in the bank but unless you feel like it's grown at a certain rate it feels like you've actually gone backwards like i've advised there's been two insanely wealthy men that i've advised and their biggest challenge was not being wealthy. Their biggest challenge was that at no time do they ever see their bank account move forward like it has in the past. They're actually, in a, no matter what they do, it's either trickling forward or it's going backwards. And it's so messed with the head. But also they always wanted to get rich and now they are rich. So then what? And so I think that time 
and money, I can see the correlation there where they're both they're, they're both benchmarking the measures of our life. Where you take something something spiritual is not as tangible to measure. The experience is way more pleasant because it's more constant and more you're more in control of it. Mm-hmm. Going back to the original example of living in the bush for a year, um, I sometimes think of those experiences and go, at some point in my life I want to not live in the bush for a year necessarily, but I want to do something that's not, I don't know, like is it possible for me to just go off the radar in terms of being tied to bank accounts and money and um, deadlines and things that need to be done over a certain period of time. Because I don't think, other than being a kid, uh, I, I don't think I've experienced that uh, in, in, in a way that I can remember. And so for me, that's what I call responsibility. It's just, it's the combination of time and money together that, not all of that, but, you know, it's it, there's a lot more to it. But... Uh, it's just interesting how much those two factors drive everything that it seems like we do. Even if we think it doesn't, it just does. Like, even if it doesn't matter if you think you're disconnected from that in a moment of time because you're, I don't know, you're planning, um, I don't know, just as a vacation or whatever, but the, the reality is the vacation has a certain time period and it has a certain budget. <laughs> And you're living on that. So, like, what, what would it be like to just live in the bush for a year and just be off of the radar and not have a concept of time? But see, like, I love it, right? I love it. Yeah. But you know it's a year. You know it's going to end. Yeah. You know, even then, like, not to be well, too anal about the distinction. That's why but- you got to go see that movie I mentioned in that last couple of episodes, um, A Walk in the Woods. Walk in the woods. Okay. It, it's a, you know, I it's did a good move. I, I actually was going to, I was going to download that at the, after you said it last time, but then I got off air and I forgot the name of everything. Um, the woods. It is, it um, is good, and it entertains this very concept of, um, mm, the finite, but also the 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 end, like the, knowing that it's one year. There's this this fundamental inherent instinct or for journey in the human experience this like when i go overseas i like say you're going to say thailand i like when i land in bangkok i like to say stay in a hotel i don't care where it is but then when i finish my trip i like to stay in the same hotel i like to do this huge loop and that doesn't mean i'm there's not times where i fly into one city and fly out of another but even then when you fly out of another the loop it's sort of like you start at your house and you go all the way around you come back to your house and there's this sense of journey and to have an end to a trip to have an end of one year there is a there's a growth there in that there's this benchmarking in there uh because like i've wanted to for a long time just spend um a couple of months in europe and just sit in a villa and just write and drink wine and just be yet I'm not taking an action on it. I'm doing a small action on it, but there's a romantic version and then there's the, oh, is that, do I really want that? You know, there's a reality. And, and I could make it a reality. If I really, really wanted it, I could totally make it a reality. 
But one of the things that does cause us to, you know, make it more difficult is everybody else's expectation of time and money. So, we're going away for three weeks later in the year. And when we go, I really want to be in a position where I don't come back to emails or people cursing me because I wasn't available when they needed me. And you can try to cut that stuff off at the past as much as you want. But the truth is, even when you send an email, if people haven't heard from you for two days, they start to worry. You know, or I really need them to get back to me. And people can get grumpy and narky because they've got a pace they want things to move at. And this is why the hippie and the CEO don't usually hang out a lot because they've got a fundamentally different pace at which they want to move. Unless one of them has made a conscious decision to be in the other one's world for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, and it's interestingly, some of the most interesting CEOs seem to be the type that know how to, or maybe come from that foundation I remember listening to the the founder of Rip Curl and that he still surfs every day and still goes out for a couple of hours on the water and you can just hear that's a that's a point of like it's just time stands still. Um which is cool. Um The other thing that I've learned through the years too, when you say that time and money have a correlation, one of the expressions I've learned is that you've got to spend time to make time. And that's the same as money. You need to, you know, well, do you? But theoretically, you could argue both ways, but you need to spend money to make money or invest money to make money and have money to make money. Um, and I've found that you need to spend time to make time. So one of the first thing, if somebody wants to have more time in their week, then they're going to have to fundamentally at first allocate time to making more time. And it's the same way if you want to have more money, you're first going to have to organize your money in the first place and allocate it to certain things so that we can start to build it and grow it. And I've just been doing a, creating an online course actually on uh, one of the elements is time because the first time I'm working with a business owner uh, or mortgage broker or someone that's at, you know got their own operation, the first thing I usually need to do so that we can actually have the conversations we need to have is get their time organized so that they've got some little windows where they can, they can either take the action they need to take or they can ponder the things that they need to ponder. And often that's about not having it, having a time where your laptop's no longer being used in the evenings, but then, uh, or perhaps allocating say time to Saturday morning for something or, Whatever, just allocating time. We need some boundaries and we need to allocate time so that we can think about things. But the discussion that provokes is, well, what's swamping us? What? Where is this coming from? Why is there, you know, I can keep mopping the floor, but why is there a hole in the roof? Uh, and that's that's when we start to just make have to observe um, what decisions we're making. What do we value? What do we finds important to do and that's brings us still back to that woman's example what's her values what does she think's important to do because there'd be other people that would be less conscious of time and possibly more conscious of uh maybe they're an artist and they're out there with a pen and paper and they're drawing every piece of wildlife they can or they're um 
they're they're connecting with nature in certain ways where they're understanding wildlife and ecosystems or they're farming or they're building solid shelter or there's there's some other passion and time becomes a servant to their passion i think you tend to soak into those things when they're happening like i just think of music i don't make enough time for it i'm always thinking in my mind I don't have time for it because whenever I try to make the time, it's never convenient. So it's always at a time when there's craziness going on and the kids are, you know, so I end up playing for the kids and having fun with them, which is great. But I don't do it a lot just for me where I can just sit there for, say, an hour. But if I do, I can essentially feel like in a meditational state where time has stopped and I can just be, you know, involved in it. But leading up to that and after that, it doesn't mean I've resolved a sense of time. So what I was hearing when somebody like this lady was talking about was that those tasks, once she's involved in the tasks of shelter or fire or observation um, or, you know, doing something to help, you know, whatever it is that she might be passionate about, just say she's an ecologist and really wants to help rebuild a particular you know, part of the land she's around or whatever to restabilize something. Maybe that's her passion. But either way, like once she's doing that thing, time stands still. But leading up to it, she's trying to make time for it and feeling guilty that she's not getting to it potentially. And that, that's sometimes what I can identify, you know, I often identify with that is um, not making, and I thought you made a great statement earlier that I haven't given a lot of thought to that, yeah, you spend time to make time is, is interesting because um, really that's how money works too. Well, if you think about your piano example, like one of the things that I've found is that often we people have an instinct for how they chunk time too. So, for example, if we go back to that 15-minute example, something takes more than 15 minutes is half a day. Because you want to play music for more than 15 minutes, often you think you need a really big chunk and you look for it when the truth is you, you could walk past that piano and hop down and play for two or three minutes and that may not be as satisfying but it becomes a habit and then sometimes it extends and then sometimes you've actually created the habit or the, like just take three minutes and, and then just take five minutes and then just take, it's like when people say, oh, I'm going to go for a run. Well, don't start with a 10K run. Start with a walk and then start with a 500 meter run and then a 1K run and build up. And so often with tasks, we, we allocate a big chunk of time. We go, I'm going to do it as this project. And that's, that's the same way I think people think about saving. They go, oh, you know, I need to save a big chunk of money. Where if they just put three bucks aside every day, they'd end up with a big chunk of money. Hmm. I agree. Although, although see, the example, though, ties into something that for me is particularly like music is just something that's particularly I can lose myself in quite easily. And I don't necessarily have to make time for it it just it just it just happens and if it doesn't happen on a piano it happens in a different way it happens from me listening to some music and 
uh, just soaking into that and my brain just decompresses. And for somebody else, that's gardening or that's some, you know, some other thing where really it does feel like time stands still. Um, See, that's the thing, like I was aware of part two of that when I say do it two or three, three minutes, and I'm not trying to help you to play the piano, but just we breaking it down as a, as a metaphor, if you like. The other part of that is when you're an artist, then you don't want any boundaries because you just want to be able to to flow. Like it's like when an athlete says, someone says, we can go for a run now. You're like, well, I, I can't go for a run now because the warm up period and then the warm down period is is longer than the time I've got available, right? Like it's it, like it's just not not plausible. So then there's the next element. It's like, well, um, you know, I, I need to actually have a certain sense of freedom where it's uninhibited. And then the question is, well, how, how am I going to find that? Like for me, I've learned that if I get up super early, I get a few hours on my own where I can just ponder things and not feel like I should be contacting anyone, emailing anyone, talking to anyone. That, that time up early is just has become my new um, opportunity, especially now that I'm married. You know, you're always in relationships, so that's a way to just find the time to do things that are um, actually often planning, often journaling, often strategizing, often just pausing and thinking. That's what's done in the morning. It's just there's no busyness. There's no expectation from um, the world. And anything done before 9 o'clock feels like a bonus. Um so then, you know, that, and that's the next thing, you know, if you're trying to spend time, you go, all right, well, you spend time to make time. What's, what sort of time do you need? And what are we going to give up so that we can create that? And, and I also think, though, the thing you're talking about there, too, is fundamentally the, the, the challenge of being a parent is that and you're not in charge of your time. You, there's, you said it off air, actually, there's more um, non negotiable tasks that need to be addressed. You know, if your kid's just crapped his pants, it's it's not a case, it's not an appropriate time to say, sorry, son, I'm just going to finish Beethoven's fifth in E major. <laughs> e minor, maybe. <laughs> so, you know, you're not going to say that, are you? Like, you're just going to, yeah. you know, the kid's standing there with crap dripping down his you know, pants. You're like, all right, come on, come on, let's get this done. And that's, but I think that's why it's so important to discuss, well, is this a task we even need to schedule? And friends of mine, which I was telling you off air, had a really big conversation, went for a long time, like weeks, that there was a conflict between the two parents, whether or not the kids should be doing weekend sport. And one parent felt that it fundamentally broke down the fabric of the family. And the other parent felt that it was really important to the children to be able to play weekend sport if they wanted to. And and the other parent said, yes, but do they really want to? Are they just following the crowd? It's available. So they just say, yeah, I want to do that. But then we end up driving around to help these kids do something that they sort of want to do. They're mildly interested in. And we don't spend any time together as a family. We're all burnt out. We don't. There's rushing around, the stress, there's tension. Do we really need these things? And it was a fascinating discussion of which I was privy to, though you can welcome me into it. And it was a really interesting discussion about, well, hang on, how important is the kid's sport? Is it really important? Do they think it's important? At what point are they getting enough of that from school sport? What What is the family? What do we want to be doing together? 
had does this impact the mental health and well-being of the parents um, See, yeah, I, I, it's I, huge. I'm not saying that I agree or disagree one way or the other, but I do sometimes tell myself, like, are we doing enough exposing kids, our kids, anyone, anyone's kids, really, to to the things that they might be interested in? What if you have the next Ian Thorpe on your hands and you don't put him in a damn pool? And I was like, you know, it just resolves itself. It just. I mean, you can deprive somebody that's truly talented and passionate about something, but if you're willing to resource that genuine, beginning to not like the word passion, but that that something like that, then um, it, it it really I, I I at least trust that it'll just resolve itself. If one of my kids just turns out to be just really really interested in say martial arts it'll just come to the surface um and as long as we're open to that i think you just know you need to resource it and maybe you're resourcing for that particular child because that they seem to be particularly driven towards that one thing and you know that becomes somebody's thing but how that relates to time for everybody else is rather interesting well, it relates specifically about we can feel like time is this finite resource that we've got, but we're not appreciating that we're just filling it with junk. It's like a house. We all talk about house all the time, don't we? Like if you're renovating a house, like some of the rooms, people want more space, but all they go, got a storage container. There's a time for storage container because you're in transition. There's other times where you just haven't thrown all this shit out and allocated the time to throwing it out and going through it. And therefore you're paying mon- money monthly for the storage space. Well, you've got a room. Everyone's got this, if you've got a spare room, it turns into a junk room. And so you've, you've got room, but you're not treating it with the respect it deserves. And we've got time, but we are allowing it to fill up with things that aren't important. Now, a couple of things that I know that family ended up doing. One was that they were okay if they were sharing the driving duties and it was being shared with other families. So they rotated around so that every weekend wasn't a disaster. And the other element was saying to the kids, well, here's the three sports that you're presently involved in. You can choose one. Which one do you want? And it's not that you can't choose the other one next season or you can do one at school and then one outside of school, but the kids were... It was basically, you can't have more. It's like a lolly. Well, you can, can't have all the lollies. That's that's going to be too destructive for this family. And the third element of that was, well, if they're not playing sport, what are we doing together as a family? What do our weekends look like? And it, it was a multi-pronged approach. That's why the conversation took a while. And it wasn't just a, no, we're not doing sport. And then we spent the whole weekend cleaning and fighting and the kids are bored. That, that wasn't where they were trying to get to. They were trying to get to a point where they can look at the weekend and say, how awesome was that? I don't know, um, Brene Brown talks about that unstructured time that families need where you just go on a hike and it's just, there's no structure. We're just going, we've got the day and we're just going to hike and when we're ready to come home, we'll come home and have lunch, have lunch. And that's, but they were doing it together as a family. Mm. That's what I think uh, I was going to say earlier when I had this additional thought. Uh, somewhat related to Europe discussion and other things of like that, just this awareness that there's a time when it ends. Um, 
I don't know why I remember watching that movie Forrest Gump when he's running on the road. He's just running. And then he just stops and just turns around and says, I think I'm done now. (laughs) I don't know. I just thought that was classic. I thought it was great because it just, uh, I don't know, just like sparked this like reminder or maybe this endearing quality. It's like, wow, that would be great to do something like that. It doesn't have to be running, but just something where you're just doing something until you don't want to do it anymore, but you're consciously doing it. I'm going to hit the road and I'm going to be on my motorbike. And the only reasons that we don't do these things is because we feel a responsibility to other people. And it's, it's hugely irresponsible for that. Well, we think that if we don't finish, we've failed. Well, that, but also if we, if we leave our troubles behind and the people around us behind where we don't care, we're irresponsible. Do you know what I mean? If people are just saying, where'd Dubbo go? He just took off. He just, one day he just said he's going on some trip and no one knows where he's going. He didn't tell anyone. We only hear from him every few days. He's going AWOL. Like, that's that's the response that people give. And for that reason, I think we generally don't do those things. And, you know, obviously, once again, as you have a family, you have these other new responsibilities. You're just not going to do that, at least, you know, for, for most people. But it's a very interesting. I think when I was talking about, like, doing something, it was in, in some ways, it's not so much like living in the bush for a year. I think you hit it on the head. I'm actually not that interested in putting a time scale on something. It's just moving into something with just the idea of being in a vehicle or heading in a particular direction of anything and not knowing what direction, but you're just moving and you're just going to stop moving when you feel like you want to stop is just a, sounds amazing to me. That's why so many people, their trip is they drive around Australia. It's really common. They spend a year. It doesn't even take a year. <laughs> but they allocate a year and often they're back early. But there's that sense of abandon, isn't there, and moving into the future and and infinite possibility and discovering something new. And And really their time feels free because there's no obligation. You know, I remember the first time I went to Thailand, I told my travel agent, look, I don't know where the plane stops on the home, stops on the way home from Hawaii, uh, from, from Norway, but just wherever it stops, just give me a four or five day stopover, just pick somewhere new. And she said, oh, Bangkok. And I didn't even know what country Bangkok was in at the time. And uh, I was like, okay. And I'm on the plane about to land there. And I realized I know nothing about Thailand, not one single thing. I don't know. I've got nowhere to stay. I don't know what language I speak. I don't even know what country it was in. I was so naive. And then I started talking to the girl next to me and she did know Thailand. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to hang out with you. And so it was great. We hung out and she sort of got me set up a little bit and did, oh, there's the main street and whatever. And and then I ended up on a beach for four days, uh, really remote. And those four days just took forever in the best way because I had nothing on. The only thing we did all day would be to eat lunch. And I just hung out with other people there and people would say, oh, there's only two days left. I was like, yeah, but two days, it's so long. Like there's a morning and there's an afternoon and a night 
and it's really early morning and then there's another morning and then there's an afternoon and there's a late afternoon and there's a dinner and there's a late night drinks if you want to. It's my, my, it, and it went on forever and it was because there was just nothing scheduled. Hmm. It was just bliss. Just bliss. It was the best thing ever. It's that combination of no time of when it's going to so you still had a deadline there of like eventually it's coming to an end but so that's that other end of the spectrum that's more about i don't know variability or like no actual plan that i think probably drives some people up the wall but we've done that too where we had a trip that just had to get cancelled because of snowstorms and on the one hand you know we're on the phone with an airline and looking at the weather at the same time, just finding the place with the best forecast. And it was the most fun, most fun we'd had in a long time for a vacation, even though it ended up, I mean, we just ended up in Key West and I'd been there two times already and it was so unexciting in that way, but it was just so memorable because it was unexpected and just, you know, at a whim, but still that had a deadline on it. To combine those two things seems pretty, pretty amazing. Um, yeah, and I've been lucky like that. Like, I've also had too much time on my hands when I've traveled and no purpose to it. And, yeah, I've made that mistake because I thought I needed a big chunk of time. So, I went away to Thailand after that trip for six weeks. I just wanted to travel around Thailand for six weeks and I was bored out of my brains because... I didn't actually need this huge chunk of time. It wasn't a huge... And this is what I meant about the piano, I guess. I didn't need a huge volume of time. I needed mental clarity for a week or two. It, and I just couldn't... I didn't, I didn't understand. It wasn't six weeks that was required to heal the, the mental space or the fatigue. I was so, so bored, mate. I was... Oh, it was painful. Um... Yeah, you know, I should have been having the time of my life, but there's only so many times, you know, so much you can sit by a pool. Um, That's so funny. Did you know? Yeah, because even if I had to think about something like where I do lose track of time, being music, I never really enjoyed music lessons. I never really enjoyed band and, and all of that. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I truly enjoyed it when we were just like doing our thing and there wasn't a time associated with it. Um, mm. Mm. So did you know, like we've gone, this show's taken just over an hour, mm-hmm. but um, in space it would have taken less time. You've been listening to Risking Failure. To join the community and access more free content, news and updates, subscribe at riskingfailure.com. <laughs>